Welcome to the Public Services Reform podcast from the Centre for Market and Public Organisation. My name is Ramesh Vitalingham, and today we have an interview with Professor Becky Blank from the University of Michigan and Brookings Institution. This is an interview that we recorded at the American Economic Association meetings in New Orleans in January 2007, and we spoke about welfare reform, a subject on which Becky is an expert. I began by asking her to explain exactly what welfare reform is all about and when it first became a big public policy issue. Yeah, the U.S. in the mid-1990s undertook a very major policy experiment, completely redesigning its public assistance system, particularly for families with children, right, which is the main group for whom welfare in the United States is available. Um, we uh, completely abolished our old cash welfare program, which was largely a federal program with some federal guidelines, and turned discretion back to the states so that that um, each state can now determine how much they pay in terms of benefits, how they pay it out, who's eligible, who's not eligible. This went along with um, greater state discretion, but more federal requirements with regard to work. And the big thrust of this at the federal level was to increase work incentives for women on welfare, um, to get them off welfare, to get them integrated into the labor market and long-term workers rather than long-term welfare recipients. Um, So the federal government said states can do what they want, but you have to have a certain share of your caseload that increased over time in work our work-related programs, say working or training, okay? Um, As a result of this, virtually every state made major changes to its welfare program. They obviously all implemented quite a variety of welfare-to-work type programs that gave women, um, uh, it it wasn't educational training, it was life skills training. How do you get to work on time? How do you dress? How do you get along with the boss? How do you look for work? How do you arrange childcare? So, you know, how do you organize your life around work? So these were like two-week to two-month type programs, all ending in job search. Okay. In addition, states um, um, almost uniformly um, increased the sanctions for those who didn't participate, which meant they could cut people off if they didn't show up at mandatory welfare-to-work programs or if they weren't obeying the rules in some form or another. They increased the incentives to work by um, lowering the benefit reduction rate so people could go to work at 20, 25 hours a week and still receive some welfare benefits, which hadn't been true under the old AFDC, the old previous welfare program. And then um, both the federal government and the states put time limits in place so that for many women, there's only a certain share of months that you could work before you got kicked off. And um, the result of all of this was really substantial changes so that welfare offices in many states, rather than becoming a place that paid out checks, right, were really focused around trying to push women to think about work and to get them into work and, and to move them towards employment programs, which was, you know, in, in addition to just the program changes, a very fundamental management change in how they ran these offices, which is very unusual to see this sort of, you know, really cultural change in policy. So this was basically an enormous policy yes. experiment. Yes. Uh, yes. We're now, we're now, yes. we're now yes. over a decade down the line from yes. there. Well, what, what, what have we learned from it? You know, what, what's worked and what hasn't worked so well? By and large, the short answer is this program has been more successful than most people expected it to be. Certainly far more successful than its critics expected. But I think by some measures, even more successful than its supporters expected, with some caveats on that. Okay, so let me first talk about the successes and then we can talk about the caveats. Um, on the one hand, caseloads have plummeted 
far lower than anyone ever expected. We have about 40% as many people on welfare now as we did back in the mid-1990s. And the thought that we were going to more than have caseloads, you know, nobody would have guessed we'd have done that much, okay? At the same time, we've been quite successful at increasing work. If you look at labor force participation among single mothers, the main group affected by this, um, there was a very large and substantial increase in um, um, how much they're working. And even with a rockier economy in the 2000s, they maintained higher labor force participation rates. Thirdly, by virtually every measure that we have, poverty is down and average incomes among this population are up. Now, they're not up into middle income ranges, but they're consistently up by between two to $4,000 over where they were in 1995. Almost all of it due to increased earnings that have more than offset the loss in welfare benefits. So, you know, if you look at all of that, um, we, you know, reduced the number of people on welfare, increased the number of people on work, and on average made them at least a little bit better off, um, which is certainly what people hope to do um, with this change. The caveats. Yes, yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it can't all be good news. Yeah, yeah no, it, it, and it's not. I mean, there's there's several concerns here. The first and most immediate one is that we've shifted the balance, and we have far less of a safety net program, and far more of a program designed to um, support people when they're working. Um, so. Uh, you know, for instance, we vastly expanded our earned income tax credit, which pays subsidies to low-wage workers and low-income families. We've increased the minimum wage. We've increased child care subsidies. We've increased health insurance coverage for low-wage workers who aren't covered by their employer. Um, you know, so um, uh, you know that all of that helps people who are working. But we've reduced the availability of assistance to people who aren't working. And you know, it's the, the question is, you know, where do you? Where do you want to make your errors, right? You know, so if you think about type one and type two errors. Um, you know, we have chosen to make welfare much harder to get for women who aren't in a job or have difficulty working right now. And the result of that is a rise in the number of women who are neither at work nor on welfare. And these women are very, very poor by all reports, even if you think they're underreporting their income and there's under the table income, you know, then maybe they have eight thousand dollars a year instead of six thousand. It's very, very low income levels. And there's been an increase in the share of women who are in that situation. They're often called disconnected women, women neither working nor on welfare. And um, disproportionately, this is the worst off women. It's women who've been sectioned or time limited off, who have mental health issues, who have health problems that aren't bad enough to become fully disabled, but you know, keep them from working. Are their children or other relatives are ill? They may have learning disabilities. They may have substance abuse problems. You know, they may have domestic violence issues in their lives. Um, people who have multiple barriers to work and who work occasionally, off and on, but who have real difficulty holding full-time, sustained jobs. But who, for one reason or another, given these changes, no longer are able to or feel themselves able to access welfare. And I think that's the biggest concern. Right. The, the second concern, which we haven't hit yet, is what if we actually find out economists haven't solved the business cycle problem and we do hit a major recession down the line at some point where work becomes much, much less available for less skilled workers. The U.S. has had a very strong labor market for less skilled workers for quite a few years, particularly strong in the late 90s when we were implementing this program, and that really helped. But it is possible if unemployment went up over you know, 10, 20 percent for the less skilled, that's not unusual if you have any sort of a recession among the very you know, lowest, lowest skilled workers, um, you could find a lot of women not able to go back on welfare under the current rules, but you know, not able to find a job. 
and that would really test our determination to run a work-oriented welfare program, particularly given the kids who are associated with these families and who would really suffer under this. How, how does this link to the, the debate about inequality in this country? I mean, yeah. to, some, to some degree, this raised poor people up. Um, but, it, yeah. but it's left people in the mire, you said, at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And we have seen inequality yeah. rising, I understand. Well, inequality was rising, but actually um, the rises ever since the early 1990s have pretty much all been up the upper end of the income distribution. People in the top 5, 10 percent continue to rise very rapidly. Inequality hasn't risen very much if you look at 50-10 or 50-20 ratios, i.e. the income distribution and the bottom of the income distribution. So um, you know, this actually hasn't had a lot of effect on the income inequality statistics. and you know. So you see small changes of more single women with a little bit more income, but it's not enough to substantially. What, what you see, for instance, is more working poor, right? Because there are fewer women who are not working on welfare. A lot of women are working part-time or in low-wage jobs, and they have a little bit more income, but they're still below the poverty line. And are we seeing, seeing uh, effects on, on uh, family structure? I mean, it's all about incentives. I mean, the whole thing yeah. is it's changing people's yeah. uh, incentives, isn't it? And, of course, that was one of the reasons why a number of conservatives voted for this was, uh, you know, they might have cared about work, but they cared a great deal about trying to reduce the number of people who are having births outside of marriage. And they saw reducing welfare and making, you know, imposing work would reduce the incentives for women to be unmarried and have children. Um, interestingly enough, um, while I think we've had dramatic effects on labor force behavior, it is to me quite amazing how little any of that has spilled over into other areas of behavior. So you see virtually no changes in fertility. You see virtually no changes in marriage. Um, you know, the sort of the, 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 you know, the argument that labor force participation and those incentives are also going to affect all these other um, family behavior incentives, and you're going to change lifestyles entirely, just hasn't happened. I mean, you know, yes, women are working more. They clearly organize their life around work, but it's had very little impact on how their families are organized particularly. I mean, in that sense, the, the program's been a failure if you were a conservative voting for this because you wanted to reduce out-of-wedlock births. And how, how, does, how does the U.S. experience compare with, with other countries? I mean, other countries in Europe have, yeah. uh, have yeah. experimented with some of these yeah. uh, welfare reform policies yeah. and subsequently. Of course, the U.K., of course, is the one that has particularly um, um, followed up with the um, tax, tax credit type options and has, you know, much more so than the United States, pushed to um, try to implement things that lower poverty. You know, one comparison with the U.K. is that the U.K. really set out a goal to lower child poverty. The U.S. set out a goal to raise work among women who are on welfare, and both of them are succeeding in those goals, but you know the UK has done a much better job of lowering poverty and not raised work as much. The US has done a much better job of increasing work, but hasn't lowered poverty as much. So, you know, <laughs> we've each gotten what we were trying to do. Um, there's obviously a great deal of interest in Europe, particularly in both some of the work incentive programs and in some of these work subsidies, such as you know, subsidizing work through things like tax credits. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting to see um, you know, that, that level of interest in Europe to sort of U.S.-based welfare programs that's relatively unusual historically. Europe has typically thought about itself as leading these things and not following the U.S. Um, but, you know, you do see a number of countries experimenting with mandatory welfare to work here or there. The biggest problem for Europe, um, at least for, uh, tr you know, for old Western Europe, is the relatively high unemployment rates and um, very limited low-wage labor markets, which make it much harder to implement this. I think there's many more possibilities and in many ways much more policy interest in some of the Eastern um, countries where they have much more flourishing low-wage labor markets and far more people in those labor markets and, and see some of these um, policies as things that they very directly can implement with potentially results that are like those that the U.S. has achieved. 
And, and where do you see welfare reform going next? I mean, we've learned a lot, presumably, over this decade, yeah. and yeah. some states in the US, I think, have been more successful than others, and in the, mm -hmm. have policy experiments within the country as well. Yeah. Where, where do things go next? And where, where, where does the kind of analysis you and your colleagues yeah. have been doing yeah. on this feed in? Well, I mean, one answer is that the US has become quite preoccupied with another set of issues, and the huge interest in welfare in the 1990s has subsided substantially as a policy issue, largely because I think many people believe we sort of did what we wanted to do. So I don't see this as being a major policy issue. We're going to focus much more on the health issues and on the particularly the, um, uh, the, the budget issues around um, pensions and health care for the elderly. Um, and that's going to dominate the social policy conversation almost entirely over the next 10 years, I guess. So I'm, you know, what you're going to see on the margins is um, a number of states who are trying to do things around these groups of disconnected women, trying to run either job retention programs or figure out how do you help this group or how do you at least provide some assistance to them rather than just sort of leaving them out there with, without work and without welfare. Um, I think there's interest in expanding the earned income tax credit beyond just families with children and um, trying to provide more um, assistance to particularly single men um, who are often linked with these women and children even if they aren't married to the mothers um, and you make that a way to help those. And then the third issue here really is a single men's agenda. Um, there's a lot of interest in what I'll call jail to work programs as opposed to welfare to work. The U.S. as you may know has very large incarceration rates that went up dramatically 10, 15 years ago and the result of that is we have more and more men coming out of jail particularly in communities of color um, and we do a very very bad job of integrating that group back into the labor market. They face very, very low wages if they even can find jobs. And that, of course, means that the mothers and the children who are associated with those men can't rely in any way upon their income, and it also creates sort of long-term. Many of these men are recidiv you know, recidivists. They get immediately engaged with the same group they were with before. They go back into prison again. Um, that costs the society a lot. It certainly costs the communities a lot. Um, so interest in trying to work on the other half of the equation. I think spent a lot of time focusing on the women. Um, I certainly think, and I think a lot of people agree with this, that it's time to focus a little bit more on the men and their labor force participation and their earnings opportunities. Becky Brown, thank you very much. Thank you.